0: While we stand, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we stand in your presence and ask that by your word you would accomplish that very thing that we've just spoken of, that you would cleanse our hearts and turn them into rivers of holy desire for the living God. Amen. Do you please sit. It would be helpful if you do have uh, Acts uh, chapters 4 and 5 open in front of you, page 1096. <clears throat> Matthew Richardson is uh, a professor of economics in um, a university in New York. Uh, he's pretty high-powered, and if you're an economist, you're supposed to kind of you know, reverence at the name. Uh, in 2004. He was invited by a university in Beijing to go and give a series of lectures to some students. Unfortunately, by the wonders of email, the Matthew Richardson invited to deliver these lectures was not the Matthew Richardson, who is a professor of economics in in New York, but a student at Oxford University. He thought it would be quite fun to go and teach students in Beijing and so he went off. He expected them to be uh, fairly lowly students, and he thought that it might—he uh, knew nothing about economics—but he thought that as long as he took a textbook, an A-level textbook, with him, it would help him just stay one step ahead for the duration of the period he was there. Unfortunately, he discovered that people had flown from all across China to be at this very high-level conference to welcome Professor Matthew Richardson. And they went through the book at such speed that he actually got to the end of the book and there was no more for him to teach uh, and there were still quite a few sessions to go. And he said at that point, even the interpreter began to get a little suspicious. Needless to say, the Chinese authorities took this rather seriously. But my favourite response in all of it is the response of the master of his college in Oxford Never mind that thousands of students had flown across thousands of miles in China. Never mind all the thousands of pounds they would have spent to cross China in order to get there. Never mind the fact that he pretended to be someone he wasn't. The master's comment was undergraduates are not allowed to be absent in term time without prior permission. (laughs) Isn't that brilliant? we do not like fakes and pretense, and neither does God. And the story that takes up most of our passage in front of us this evening is a terrible story of God's judgment acted out in this life against those who pretended I wonder if, as the story was read, and it's one of those stories that, for those of us familiar with the New Testament, it's very familiar, but many of us may not have come across it at all before. And I wonder if, as it was read, you registered that it was the young men that were called on to take out Ananias and then Sapphira. I wonder what it would have been like walking back from burying Ananias not not burying him in a kind of earthen tomb. They'd have used one of the um, uh, tomb-opening tomb holes in the rock uh, and put a, uh, one of those rolling stones uh, against it, just like uh, Jesus' own burial. Imagine the conversation on the way back about what they'd seen. Imagine they get back across the threshold. Only to be sent out again because the same thing, exactly the same thing, happens for Ananias' wife, Sapphira. Well, our story is there in chapter 5, verses 1 through to 11. And I want to ask three questions Did it happen? Should it have happened? And could it happen again? First, the miracle itself. Did it happen? Well, it seems likely enough that it did. And it's an extraordinary story. And we may say, well, it's just too unfair. It's too extraordinary. And that's the point. There is nothing for Luke, who is writing this story, this account in Acts, there is nothing much for it uh, for him in telling this story. He is trying to commend Christian life and faith to those who may not yet believe. Would you go to your friends, later on we'll hear a, a, an advert about Christianity Explored that's coming round again. Would you go to your friends, about to invite them to a course exploring Christianity, and say, listen, there's a great course uh, coming to my church from the 17th of October. Christian Explored, you've got to be there. It's about God and how he kills people. There's nothing for 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 Luke in telling this story. And if there's nothing for him in it, it seems particularly likely that it happened pretty much as it says. The story that leads up to it, we heard from uh, last week, of the ways in which Peter and John have been opposed by the religious authorities of their day. And it would seem in this pairing of the stories that the devil is trying to destroy by force last week the message that's going out to the world, and then this week trying to destroy it by falsehood. Trying to destroy it by force from without, and now trying to destroy it by falsehood from within. Let's summarize what actually happened. Uh, We're told they did it together, Ananias and Sapphira. They conspired, they stole, and then uh, first Ananias dies, and then Sapphira. It doesn't say that they stole. We have to kind of work it out a little bit. We've heard at the end of chapter 4 that it was quite common for uh, where are we? the uh, second part of verse 34, time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. We also know they didn't have to do that because they carried on meeting in homes, and in order for them to have homes, uh, they couldn't have been selling every home. So there's no obligation. Still, Ananias and Sapphira decide to uh, sell part of, uh, the, to sell their land, but they keep back part of the money for himself, for himself. Again, nothing wrong with that, provided that they'd been honest. Now the word uh, "kept for yourself" in verse three. How is it that Satan's so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? It's a word that's used only in one other place in the New Testament. But it's, it's a very rare word, but it's used in the Greek translation of a, a very powerful story in the Old Testament where exactly the same kind of thing happened. And it's a signal to us. If we want to get rid of this story from the New Testament, then we're going to have to get rid of quite a deep strand of stories that's there. It's a story of a man called Achan in Joshua chapter 7, you can look it up later if you want, who, and the words are important here, kept back for himself some of the stuff that he uh, took uh, after a battle. It wasn't devoted to the Lord as it should have been, Achan kept it For himself. You have to take out this deep strand that when God tells you to make a wholehearted gift, you're not to mess about. They didn't have to sell it in the first place. Once they'd sold it, they could just have been honest and said, "Um, listen, we need uh, 20% of this, but we're giving you 80%. Maybe the other way around. That would have been fine. Clearly, what has happened by the accusation that Peter levels at them is that they've said, we're giving you everything. This, for example, might be the entire contents of a larder that someone has delivered. But they just kept back a tin of soup for themselves. But they've pretended it's everything. It's that that niggles. I take it that it did happen. Because it is this deep strand, and it would appear at first sight not to do the gospel any favours. And when you see something that doesn't look positive for the gospel, then you absolutely know that it happened, because it's in no one's interest to tell it. The miracle, did it happen? Yes, I think it did. But then let's look at the morals of it. Should it have happened? It seems cruel and vindictive. And yet, God has rights. In the context of judgment coming, it cannot be that bad that it happened for a couple of people a little early. We assume God knows what he's doing. What's astonishing about the story, in fact, is not that people die, or, or even that God is the agent by which they die. It's simply that that is brought from the world of judgment that we think about in the future into the world of right now. And there are two judgments going on here. First, there's a judgment against idolatry. They clearly just liked money too much. And we're told in the New Testament that the love of money is is the root of all kinds of evil money had a place in their heart it should not have had and it's shown up so clearly precisely at a moment where they're saying look god you've got a place in our hearts not only is it judgment against idolatry then it's a judgment against hypocrisy they were pretending It's an alarming story for us because isn't that the challenge that we so often face? Or or maybe it isn't a challenge that we face, but we know it's going on inside, the gap between who we know we are when we're in private and the person we know we are when we're in public, perhaps when we're at church. We have to ask the question, well, were these people Christians or not? Were they following Jesus? Well, their behavior suggests that they hadn't, just hadn't quite grasped it. They hadn't quite got it. Should it have happened? We can't say whether it should have happened, but we cannot complain against it that it happened. If God chooses to bring some of his judgments into the here and now, that's up to God. God has rights not to have his glory insulted. But then if if we can't complain that it happened, then the third question inevitably kicks in. The miracle, did it happen? I think it did. The morals, should it have happened? I see no reason why not. And then the third question, the moment. Was it just one moment? Or could it happen again? Are you going to have a very anxious moment when it comes to the offertory? As you reach into your pocket and think, oh, am I giving only 30%, 70%, 100% of what's in it? Well, could it happen again? Well, there is something special about this story. There's no doubt about it. We've got to be careful, though, before we run too quickly to that. Could this happen again? Well, it doesn't seem very likely that God will make it happen again. Can we sit here tonight and say, God won't do this because, well, do you know, we've all got a bit of Ananias in us, Alan, We've all got a bit of Sapphira. None of us is perfect. No, we're not. But it doesn't excuse sin. And there are some clues as to what may make this story just a little bit special. We're told uh, twice about uh, great fear. But if you look in verse 11, it says, Great fear seized the whole church. It's actually the first time in the book of Acts that the word church is used. Luke seems to want us to know that this was a special moment. This was the beginning of the life of the church of God, the people of God in their refounded state. And if it's the beginning, then you don't mess around. These are important moments. How much, how many times... Have we, in our day, heard the objection against the Christian church? Oh, it's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, I don't know at what point that arose, but God was determined it was not going to arise at the beginning. Great fear seized the whole church. This is the first usage of that word. These are early days. And in those early days, this word great gets used a lot. Go back to the end of chapter 4, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify. A little later on, chapter 6 and verse 28. No, not that. Where has it gone? No, lost it. Hmm. Found it earlier, lost it now. Uh, Great wonders was the phrase I was looking for. Uh, Small prize to anyone who can find it. Um, uh, Later on, I hope this one's here, chapter 8 and verse 13. The great signs and miracles that were seen. There's great joy in other places. This is the life of the early church. Great power, great wonders, great joy and yes, great fear. It is the church, notice in verse 11 of chapter 5, that is seized by this fear, the holy fear of not wanting to get this wrong. Now, that seems to me a good fear for me to have, and I guess for you too. Well, we don't want to be afraid of God, we say, Well, no, but being afraid of God's holiness and wanting to be holy like him because out of a fear seems to me uh, maybe not the best, but not a bad reason for wanting to be like Jesus. This is uh, the early days of the church in which all these greats are going on. And it was a special time. And there are all kinds of times, let's face it, when the church has had appalling hypocrisy going on it, and God has not done this again. But does that excuse sin? No, it doesn't. Does it mean we can say, well, we've all got a little bit of Ananias and Sapphira? No, it doesn't. What should we then do? Well, we take our cue, not from chapter 5, but from the end of chapter 4. We could be like those in Verses 34 and then uh, in verse 36. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. They gave. Giving is not just a useful thing for the recipient it's good for the heart that gives, just like Barnabas. Just like this. But it is possible, as chapter 5 tells us, to give in a way that's hypocritical, less than wholehearted. Avoid idolatry. Use giving as a way of dethroning from your heart that tendency that stuff will have to move into top place. Whatever that stuff will be for you, I don't know, but you know what it is. You know that temptation that is there for you. Dethrone it. And one of the best ways of dethroning it, avoiding idolatry, is simply to give and give generously. Secondly, avoid hypocrisy there is that terrible temptation to be double minded to have one eye on what we are when we're to- in private and one eye on what we are when we're together in public i want to read something to you from the 19th century from a guy called uh, bishop ryle this is what he said about single mindedness I'm going to change the um, the gender, otherwise only half of us will get clobbered by this. A a zealous person in religion is preeminently a person of one thing. It is not enough to be earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, fervent in spirit. Such people see one thing. They care only for one thing. They live for one thing. They are swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is is to please God. Whether they live or whether they die, whether they are healthy or sick, rich or poor, whether they please man or whether they give offense, whether they are thought wise or whether they are thought foolish, whether they get blame or praise, whether they get honor or shame. For all this, zealous people care nothing at all. They burn for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. If they're consumed in the very burning, they care not for it, they're content. They feel feel that like a lamp, they are made to burn. And if consumed in burning, they have but done the work for which God appointed them. Such will always find a sphere for their zeal. If they cannot preach and work and give money, they will cry and sigh and pray. Yes, if they are only paupers on a perpetual bed of sickness, they will make the wheels of sin drive heavily by interceding against it. If they cannot fight in the valley with a Joshua, they will do the work of Moses and Aaron and her on the hill. If they are cut off, cut off from working themselves, they will give the Lord no rest till help is raised up from another quarter and the work is done." This is what I mean when I speak of zeal in religion. Some of us are motivated negatively. That is, if I say to you, avoid this and avoid that, that's what ticks the box for you. Others are are motivated positively and need to find that, well, what is it then instead? And I suggest it's this, God is utterly passionate for the glory of his son, Jesus. God has before him always the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that that represents. And if he has before him that cross and that sacrifice, and he sees us less than wholehearted, keeping back things for ourselves, dealing in idolatry, dealing in hypocrisy, then of course his rage knows almost no bounds because he knows what the cross cost him. He knows that his son is worthy of all praise, wholehearted praise, not just some. There is going around at the moment a YouTube, splendid YouTube video called uh, Wrong Worship, which begins with someone singing, I will sing of your love on Sundays. Instead of saying, Forever. I surrender some instead of I surrender all. That is us to some extent. Brothers and sisters, let us therefore repent and say sorry, for that's not who we should be in the face of the cross of Jesus Christ. I've um, uh, been in conversation a few times over the last couple of years uh, with guys who found it helpful, faced with the temptations that are open to us these days on the internet, the hypocrisy of the internet, uh, to go for porn. Uh, I've had occasion to commend uh, a, a program called triplex.com. If you want details, uh, ask me privately. Um, But I I recommend extending the principle that we should live openly with one another. It might not be sex or porn for you. There are issues of money where we conceal. There are issues of truth-telling and time usage where we conceal. And I suggest that it is sometimes worth listening to Acts chapter 5 and resolving to do whatever it takes to live without idolatry without hypocrisy, with zeal for the living God of hosts. Let's pray. Lord, we do not want to sing only on Sundays. We do not want to surrender only some of our lives. In the nature of things, there will be a number of us here now Asking themselves, do I really want to surrender everything? Do I really want to have that zeal? If I don't want to be half-hearted, would it be better to be whole-hearted or just to walk away? Hold before us, we pray, the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us know of his passion, his reality. And give us the grace to be wholehearted and single-minded in our zeal for the living God. Amen.